0: Hey guys, Jack here. Thank you guys again for tuning in. Uh, Some exciting announcements. I'm heading to Las Vegas this weekend for the Advanced Poker Training Academy. Uh, I hope I'll see some of you guys there. Um, If you're going to be there, shoot me a note. And if not, uh, I'll catch you guys there on March 19th uh, through the 21st for the next camp. For anyone who has a PokerGo subscription, make sure to check out Poker After Dark this week. Matt Berkey is going to be featured heavily, and that always means good action and a lot to learn. So definitely check that out. Um, More announcements to come about exciting Solve for Why uh, events, including a heads-up challenge in March. Uh, We'll give you details on that as it comes. Uh, A reminder that we are brought to you by Solve for Why, um, and Solve for Why is an amazing poker coaching experience, the only poker camp that teaches live poker strategy solve for why delivers a framework to think and act differently uh, solve for why is poker evolved to learn more head to solve or use the link in the show notes and to some of you i'll see you this weekend hey
1: zach hey jack how you doing man? good currently looking out at the beautiful terminal four at jfk delta's very own
0: hi ah, you're at jfk Man, I should have come and met you.
1: Yeah. Wouldn't you have loved that?
0: You could have just bought a
1: refundable ticket, got there six hours early. We do the podcast in person, cancel the ticket, you know.
0: Yeah. You know, it's just worth it just to be in the same room with you, man. All right. I know. Enough, enough love. Let's get to some poker. So this week, let's, uh, let's do a listener hand. We've got what looks like an interesting hand from a pretty deep stacked game at the Casino Niagara. Uh, this is one three uh, Canadian dollars, so you know I don't know what that's worth. But can't be as much as good old American dollars, anyway. A little, a little, a little less. <laughs> um. So, our listener writes. Uh, there were three players, including myself, to start the hand. I'm 34, and the other two players, I would guess, were probably in their early 40s. They were not regs, but both players knew each other because they worked with one another. They seemed like nice guys because I was chatting with them both when they sat down at the table. They weren't there as long as I was at this point, uh, and they both sat down and probably played for about an hour before the scene took place. The main villain was raising about 6 out of every 10 hands that he was in, but the table never got to see his hands because he would take it down usually before showdown. He definitely had the tendency of being loose-aggressive, and for all intents and purposes, it was working out for him. Spuddy was not so aggressive. He ended up folding aces face up on a board, where both five-card straights played on the board. There was also a flush draw. Huh. He had mentioned to me earlier that he folded kings because he put the opposing player on his set. I guess take that for what it's worth. Ha ha. Um. Doesn't seem
1: very funny to me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> I think what, I just to be clear, I think what we're saying about main villain is he was raising, for every ten hands he played, he would open six of them and limp four. That is my guess. I don't think that what we're seeing is oh. that he's raising 60% thought, of the time.
1: I thought he meant, yeah, I thought he, I thought he meant 60% of the time.
0: Yeah, I, I think... I think that's what it is. It says the main villain was raising about six out of ten hands that he was in. Yeah. So oh. so just a note yeah. to our our listener here, um, that's useful information, but it's much more useful within the context of like how many hands he plays overall. You know, so if we said this guy is involved in about thirty percent of pots and he's raising about six out of every ten hands he enters, that gives us really good information about what this player's preflop range looks like, where this, uh, you know, it's helpful in some ways, but we just really don't have enough context to make a good evaluation of what this player's range looks like preflop. So we're going to have to kind of go with our gut and a little bit in the dark. Uh, well, you
1: know, our listener did say he was loose aggressive, so I think we can assume maybe a little bit higher of a VPIP than 30, uh, just based on that. But yeah, we are, we are somewhat in the dark here.
0: Yeah, so we'll go around there. Something like between like thirty and forty, just very aggressive. We don't also don't know how many players are at the table. It says there were three players, including myself, start the hand, but not sure if that's if we're three-handed. Um, maybe we'll find out more uh, with future descriptions. Okay, so for this hand, the effective stacks were myself with eleven fifty, villain number one with fourteen twenty-five, and villain number two with five forty-five. All right, so we're very deep. With villain one, uh, we're like 350 big stack. Okay. The player with the button is directly to my left, so we're in the cutoff, and I wake up with nines. So if we're in the cutoff, it means we are not three-handed. Uh, main villain is on the big blind, and villain two is under the gun plus two. So let's just assume we're at like a nine-handed table. Um, all right. So Hero wakes up with Pocket Nines, the Nine of Diamonds, and the Nine of Spades. Um, The main villain is on the big blind. So action comes to villain two, and he limps for three. Everyone else folds, and it comes to me, and I limp with Pocket Nines. Uh, Zach, what do you think about limping versus opening here?
1: Um, I think you just got to be raising. You got a very good value hand. You're going to have a a lot of worse hands that call you. You're going to want to get you know, the main villain, as you described, to put more money in the pot with his loose range of hands, and yeah, I think it's just one of of these spots where it's just like a clear raise all day.
0: Yeah, I think it's a clear raise. Uh, Just to add some clarity, so the villain who limped uh, is the tighter villain, and so the main villain, who's looser, has not V-Pipped, he's in the big blind, but it doesn't really matter. So You know, like, we're ahead of we're way ahead of everyone's range, including the limper. Um, and this is not. Winning pre-flop is not a problem. Uh, and so we should just open, give ourselves a chance to win pre-flop, give ourselves uh, an uncapped range, an initiative, uh, and likely position. And we don't want the button to call uh, post-flop. And I think this hand is just going to play much better in every way as a race. All right. So the button folds, the small blind calls. And the big blind, which is Villain 1, who's the aggressive player, raises to 27. Uh, Villain 2 calls, and uh, I think hero should be calling here, Uh, as played. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, The small blind folds, and so now there's $84 in the pot. All right. The flop comes out, seven of clubs, three of clubs, three of spades. Uh, uh, Our hero notes that both straight and flush draws are out there. Okay. Uh, But this is an excellent flop for nines. Um, Villain flop, or sorry, villain one is first to act, and he leads out for $65. Villain two is Buddy Folds, and it comes to me. All right, Zach, I don't think we're folding here. Um, so do you prefer flatting or raising?
1: I think just flatting. What do you, well, how about you make a case for raising?
0: I think flatting is solid, but here's a case for raising. And I think this is something that people should be looking for in their games. Nines is an interesting hand here, especially in position. Um, here's, here's basically the case for raising. We're probably going to pay three bets on clean runouts against like tens plus. We're not really going to fold this hand as long as it's no an repair. And at some frequency, if we just flat, the runout will come really bad and we'll just fold uh, the best hand. Uh, that's, that's inevitable. So that's basically what happens if we call. If we raise, I think some good things happen. Um, one, I do think it's possible to get called by worse. We can get called by a seven. We can get called by eights. We can get called by a flush draw. Uh, we can even get called by like sixes, fives, I think are possible, fours. Uh, maybe even ace-king. I think all those hands could call us. But here's, here's sort of the main thing that we're looking at for. If we have an opponent who is going to barrel with over cards on turn cards that are favorable for our hand, I think we have a very good case for calling. Like, if we expect our opponent to, like, barrel with queen-jack on an eight turn, then yeah, just call, because there's so much value in letting our opponent bluff again that uh, it's worth worth it. But if our opponent is only going to barrel on a favorable card for his range, you know, something like a jack through king, then I think we have a good case for raising, and... The benefit of that is that we fold out a lot of equity. Like, any two overcards that our opponent has have significant equity against nines, and if they're not going to put any in any more money, unless they improve, then we benefit from getting those to fold. I don't think we get 3-bet very often here by an overpair, and so we can often check back the turn uh, after raising. And yeah, we can get called by worse. So I think there is a case for raising nines here. And I think it mostly depends on how we think our opponent is going to play over cards on future streets.
1: Yeah. I think, I think there's definitely a good case for raising first off hats off to you for absorbing more of Matt Berkey's content than I, <laughs> <Those are all laughs> but you yeah, know, I, I, I think that obviously there's, there's a much better case for like kind of raising lower pairs here. Right raising a hand like pocket sixes or even pocket eights. So, Mm -hmm. like, pocket nines is, I think, one of, like, the edge cases where it's kind of on the border between, you know, benefiting from what you talk about and then just, like, playing well as a bluff catcher. But, yeah, there's a lot of runouts where it could not not be great. Um,
0: Well, let me... Yeah, I mean... Yeah. Let me respond to one of those points very quickly before you go on. Uh, I actually think, in some ways, there's more of a case for raising nines than fives or sixes here, just because I think it's a lot easier for nines to get called by worse. Um, obviously, sixes and fives have slightly more to protect against. Like, They benefit from getting hands like eight, nine, and eight, six to fold, where nines doesn't really benefit from getting those hands to fold. But I think it's important to be able to get called by worse at some frequency. Uh, or else it's going to be tough for this bet to be more profitable than calling, I think. Um,
1: Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think that, uh, I see, I see it as unlikely someone most of the time, like if they show up in this way with a hand, like pocket 5s them playing it as a bet call.
0: That's, that's fair. But what about like eight, seven or eight, eight?
1: Yeah, I see that, that game plays a bet call. Oh, I, 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 I see. So this is, I'm, I'm kind of confusing this board texture with another dynamic where it, can sometimes make sense to raise the lower pairs. We got that. We got that pesky seven in the mix. So, I'm I'm, I'm with you, Jack. I pre- I prefer nines to to, five, to fives or sixes. That being said, I think just instinctively, in in like a live poker game against like, you know, a tighter villain, I think this is going to be a bit less effective than just calling. But I, I think against a more skilled opponent we're going to be wanting to raise nines more often.
0: Mm. All right. Well, keep in mind this player is, this is the laggy
1: villain. Oh, oh, this is the laggy villain. Yeah. So, yeah. So if it's against, if it's against the lag, I think there's a better case for raising, you know, like someone who is more likely to make, I think like a bet calling mistake with a hand, like pocket fives or even like, you know, I don't, I don't think ace-jack is out of the question. Uh, we're against a tighter player. I think we're very rarely going to see, like, a bet call with those types of hands. So, yeah, I think the chance of getting called by worse is a lot higher from a laggy player, as well as from, like, a, a more skilled and more balanced player. So, I, I'm liking, I'm against the villain described, um, I, I like, I think I, I slightly prefer prefer the raise but if it was against the tighter villain as i mistakenly thought i think i'd prefer a call Mm -hmm.
0: one other nice thing about raising is that this is not necessarily the opponent we're like i'm factoring in this quite as much but i do think it makes it easier to like turn our hand into a bluff and represent clubs which i think against an opponent we expect is going to be pretty overpair dense when they call uh Especially if we think they're going to be three betting like a lot of enough flush draws on the flop, uh, then that, that's an interesting opportunity. But I think here the case is mostly just like protection, get a little value, uh, and you're not likely to pay off an overpair any more than you would have. Okay. So our, our, our hero calls uh, and writes pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, and I think like I think this is. What most people would consider a straightforward call, and what I think people should be striving to, people should be striving to consider other options. Um, I think that's important. Okay, the turn is an interesting card. The four of spades peels off, which now completes a possible straight draw of five six, and there's a flush draw of spades out there too. Villain one leads out uh, for $85. Okay, so Villain's betting 85 into 214 on the four of spades. Honestly, well, here, Zach, go ahead. How how much behind? A lot. Um, I think we have, like... There's still, like, 850 in the stacks.
1: Yeah. It's tough or against, more. like, a more a more straightforward opponent. I think I prefer, like, raise folding as played. But against, like, this laggy guy as described, you know, I I, I don't want to be like, raise-folding the best hand a lot of the time. This is one of these, like, weird bets where it's, like, someone sets their price. But also, I don't know, when someone says laggy, with the little information we have and at the stake's being played, I don't give it much stock. So laggy is probably more indicative of, like, how this player plays when they have momentum and when they're the preflop aggressor, maybe preflop, where there's very few people that are capable of, like, Pulling the trigger even with like an ace high flush draw, and like just like three bet bluff the turn. So, talking through it a little bit, I think I, I prefer, but not you know very strongly prefer raising uh, pocket nines, folding out some equity, and uh, yeah, getting getting called by worse, including draws. I think against the player as described, if they're setting their price for the flush draw. Uh, they're certainly not going to fold to a raise of, let's say, you know, between like 200,
0: 225 Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um,
1: and then and then when then we could check, you know, I think we're I think we're going to be checking back the river a lot of the time. Yep. You know,
0: totally agree. I yeah. think this is a really a really good opportunity considering we didn't raise the flop uh, and we got this very I think favorable turn card. Like I know it completes five six, but. That's not very many combos. Like, I don't, we don't have any reason to expect that this guy's opening 5 6 offsuit pretty far. Uh, and this also seems like a pretty small bet if this player had 5 6. I think they'd be maybe a little bit more optimistic with their sizing. Uh, and I think that's the case with a lot of their value. So I think I also li- I like raising here to, I like that sizing like 200 to 250 ish. Um, we have the benefit of, I think, getting value from worse at a high frequency. Like, it's not super valuable to raise into a draw on the flop, since draws have significant equity and can put us into difficult bluff catching situations on the river. Like the main thing you want to get value from, and with the flop raise, you're trying to get value from, like, worse pairs, and you're trying to get protection from overcards. You're not thrilled any time your opponent has a flush draw. On the turn, it's a different story, because if our opponent has a flush draw, they're going to miss, you know... Most of the time, like, less than they're gonna hit less than 25% of the time, even if they have like an overcard or two. Uh, so, yeah, we, we benefit a lot more from getting our opponent to call, you know, a small raise with those types of hands. We also buy a showdown, uh, I think, a lot. Our opponent might lead out like when the fl- his flush comes in, and I think like we can probably just fold. Um, I know this guy's like, yeah. but like, I don't think people take that line as a bluff very often uh, at 1-3. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, especially
1: once they call a turn raise, you know, versus if we call, then we we put ourselves in a spot where they definitely do have a lot more bluffs in their range in the river.
0: Yeah, and say our opponent has, like, red jacks here, and they're, like, a little nervous. One, they might fold. And two, they could easily bet the the river and force us into a tough decision where on a favorable river card, we're probably going to call. And the favorable over cards are the ones where they're going to be more likely to value bet. So I think we're potentially getting some better hands to fold, and also uh, we buy a showdown at a high frequency, because I don't think people are 3-betting enough, and I don't think people are donking very much when the board changes. Uh, and when they are, it's, in both cases, very value-heavy. Um, so yeah, I, I think if you didn't raise the flop and you get this favorable turn card and this small bet, I really just like raising. So... Uh, Hero just decides. Oh, okay oh, okay. So, hero takes a very a line that I don't think either of us would recommend. Um, hero takes a few seconds and then proceeds to ask villain if he wants to check it down. If I call, um, oh, I would
1: just do that. With, I would just do that with a boat,
0: yeah. not pocket nines. <laughs> yeah, this is. You have. You're just giving your opponent too much information. Like you actually have the type of hand. That would very much like to do that. And so yeah. your opponent, you know, if your opponent has like jacks, maybe they'll take you on it. Uh, but if your opponent has a flush draw, they're probably not going to take you up on this. <laughs> and if they have, like, you know, there's, I think they're going to play really well against this information you just gave them, because you basically are describing your hand. Uh, and as, you know, the way it goes is he doesn't say anything. And so I, Hero kind of laughs and says, all right, just wanted to keep this friendly, and proceeds to call. Um. Yeah. So, not a just recommended play, but, you know, friendly game. Or not. Um. Okay. The river rings the eight of clubs, which completes the club flush draw. And 5-6 six is, six is still a possibility for a straight. Good enough. Villain leads at this time for 130. Uh for the 130 there was for in the pot at this point. Okay. Again, uh hero takes about 15 seconds and then raises his 130 to 465 dollars.
1: Oh man, so our our hero our hero made the raise on the street that I think we'd both recommend not doing it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so if you're raising now you're bluffing. Uh
1: yeah, and you're and you're just turning like a a very good bluff catcher at that price. You know, it's like I I don't expect uh, maybe expect to win like a majority of the time, but it's slight. You know, but we're just getting such a great price in the river. Yeah, we're
0: getting a fantastic price.
1: Uh, like, uh... Yeah, it's it's one of the more favorable runouts we could ask for. You know, flop an over pair. This is just the time when when you're up against a looser and more aggressive opponent. Even if they might be a little bit less loose and aggressive post flop, and you haven't seen the situation, you just—it's just too exploitable to as as villain is described to be folding here. And then raising, we're just, we're taking one of our worst candidates to do so. No blocker value. Um, actually, in in a way, kind of reverse blocker value, just because we're blocking. I think some like natural bluffs. But you know, not that many of them.
0: Yeah, you know this. I don't. I would like. I would honestly like this more if we hadn't said what we said on the flop. Like I think a flush draw does not ever. Like (laughs) unless this guy thinks you're being really deceptive on the turn, a flush draw is the exact hand that does not say like, "Can we just check the river down?" You know, when I'm in position and I have a fucking unmade hand. Like, the flush draw just absolutely never says that, unless it's trying to be deceptive. Um, so you you might be able to get away with this at 1-3, and that's fine. But I think, like, you've set yourself stuff up very poorly to make this bluff, by the information you gave on the turn. So I would probably... I think you should just be planning. Now, I do think the sizings look weak, I do think you might be able to get an overpair to fold. I do think a Fletch is sort of unlikely. But given given what you said on the turn, I really think it's a very risky time to try and get a hand like Aces or Kings to fold. Especially since, like... You know, that it's not like 8-7 is now ahead of the Kings. Uh-huh. So you... Your only hands that improved were flush draws and pocket eights, uh, which is significant. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest. Like, I don't mind this. I don't mind this raise as much as like I think I should, because I just think it kind of will work a lot. Like, I think that I think our opponent just based
1: it. on sizing. I just, just sizing. think, yeah,
0: yeah, I just think like our opponent just like his captain will probably fold. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna level with. Level with you, my man. My man from Canada. I like this. But I... I think... I still think you sort of raised the flop or the turn, and you shouldn't have said what you said on the turn. So... <laughs> I don't want to like this, but I do like it. Uh, and I, I agree yeah. with Zach. This is, like, not a good candidate to do this, but I still just kind of think it will work.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can... Like, so there's a big difference between, like this could work and then like we recommend this, you know? So like, I, I can't imagine opponents in which like if I got to the river somehow this way, I'd rather raise, but I think given the information we have, it's just like not enough to do something that's exploitable, you know? So call me old fashioned, call me balanced, but you know, when I put an X, we're going to disagree on this Jack. All right. That's okay.
0: Well, call me results oriented. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh the folded aces face up.
0: <laughs> not aces. <laughs> he proceeds to start to talk to himself for a few seconds, and he's clearly frustrated by this development. He then proceeds to turn over his hand face up and shows Kinks. After another ten seconds or so he ends up folding. Um Yeah.
1: So Flash on the Nine.
0: S- I, I yeah, Splash on the Nine. That'd be awesome. <laughs> uh <laughs> I'm just like...
1: What did I have? You'll never know.
0: Part of why I like this is I'm just, like, imagining the image of this guy who's, like, limp-calling nines pre-flop. And I just kind of think this guy could probably get away with a lot of bluffing. That's just my
1: yeah. Especially at 1-3. Like, there's... And this is the important thing about why, like... Yeah, why, like... You know... Yeah, so... First off, I think the lower the stakes, the more people are sensitive to absolute dollar amounts, and also the lower the stakes, the more people are to like relative swings within a session. But this is still very prevalent at 25 and even a lot of 510, um, where if people are up a lot, which they probably are if they're this deep out of one three game, uh, so the loss aversion is going to be very strong here. And thinking about it more, like I guess against like the feel that like one three when they're probably much deeper than they're used to playing, or at least a great deal deeper than they're used to playing. Um, perhaps even much more deeper than they're used to play. <laughs> Sorry, man. Okay. But against the field when you know both players are a good deal deeper than they're used to playing, uh, even someone that's like loose and aggressive pre, maybe even like post on the flop, maybe even you know, donks around for $80 and $100 bets, $135 bets post. You know, a lot of people just have this trigger where it's like, I've seen this too many times before. I'm not putting in the extra, you know, 300-something with just an overpair. But this is very risky because you're up against a an loose and aggressive guy and they have pocket kings. They might not have gotten pocket kings for the last two sessions, you know? And now it's like a pretty decent hand on a paired board. So... It's a risky play, risky business, but you know, just as an exploit against the field, I think it's good. But this is where it's important to like think where you know, when we heard loose and aggressive, a lot of things come to my mind, and this is why these labels are really problematic. Which is why just the more information about how they specifically have played hands, as well as attracted with their opponents on different streets, that's gonna that's gonna be the helpful information um, versus just saying something like loose and aggressive or tight and aggressive. Uh, because that will, I think I'll, it's like a lot of words where they mean a lot of different things to different people. So it becomes a less effective means of communication. Like the word terrorism.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Jack, it's not just funny. Hands I'm getting, in the airport.
0: Just hands getting political. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well Gutsy Gutsy play, Ben. I I like it, you're my hero. Um some last some last words. Uh Your rights. I thought the only thing I did which most people wouldn't do <laughs> is limp with nines in my position pre <laughs> That actually, that actually, a few more that actually <laughs> might be true until the river. I do think most people would would call uh, both those streets. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. But, the, yeah, I think the river raised is just, like, not guys like, <laughs> no. Personally, I'm so used to the action at Casino Niagara playing 1-3, where limping mid-pairs isn't such a terrible thing, because depending on what the board texture is, I can usually outplay the opposing players, especially if I flop a set, because either way... Either they never put you on it, or they do put you on it, and you can push people off big pockets, like what I did in this scenario. So let me just like very quickly like point out like an inconsistency here. I, I think there's like a very optimistic view from a lot of poker players where it's like, you know, if I want them to think I have it, they're gonna think I have it. And if I want them to not think I have it, they're gonna not think I have it. And I'm just gonna
1: done. Capish. You
0: know, I think that's uh, I think that's easier said than done. I do think, like, you identified, you got a good bluffing card on the river and made a good play, in my opinion. But I don't think that's, like, that necessarily means, like, you're always just going to be able to win when you don't have a set and then get paid when you do have a set. I think that's just way too optimistic. And I think you're maybe, one, I think it's a lot easier to get people to fold uh, when your range is uncapped preflop. Which is part of the benefit of raising a hand like nines. Uh, you know, you can kind of go ham on like an ace king queen board, for example. When you have nines, if you raise pre flop, when if you didn't raise preflop, flop, you're totally hamstrung. Uh, anyway, yeah, I just think I think basically, I think you're being a little optimistic. Uh, here it goes on to write. By the time I had left, which was maybe about two hours after this hand took place. Villain 1 was down to about 450 from 1425 because the other players started to realize that they could put him into situations where they could get him to make exploitative folds. Also, he lost a big hand heads up against another player who made a boat on the river and Villain had flopped the nut flush. You live and you learn, right? Thanks, guys. Uh. Yeah, interesting that this is a 1 3 game where people are, like, paying attention to their opponents. Uh. Yeah. Nice! Well, thank you so much for writing in. Uh, again, for future hands, try and include information about beyond just like the classic, he's a lag, she's a tag, uh, you know, the more, the more we have about, you know, people's actual frequencies or an estimate of it and how people play post-flop, the better. Maybe someone laggy until they face aggression. Uh, maybe someone's laggy on, you know, it just, we need to know more. Alright, thank you so much for writing in again. Thank you, Zach, for joining me. Uh-huh. And we'll see you guys next week.